0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey,
1: everyone. Today's guest is John O'Callaghan, lead vocalist, guitarist, and pianist for the Tempe, Arizona rock band, The Main. John and I take a deep dive into their fan favorite, Black Butterflies and Deja Vu, from their 2017 album, Lovely Little Lonely. John spoke about how it was during the writing for this album that he began to really work on the quality of his demo recordings, trying to bring forth a more full vision of what he was hearing in his head, rather than a simple voice recording on his phone, as he had done previously. We talked about how Locale can shape an album's sound, and how much John loved recording this record out in California. John spoke about their working relationship with producer Colby Wedgeworth and how he was an integral part to the final product that the song became. And, John lets us all in on a little something that not even his bandmates know, that the inspiration for Black Butterflies and Deja Vu actually came while he was channeling his inner Grateful Dead. So grab your peace pipe, crack a beverage, and let's get into this
2: thing. Hey,
1: hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? It's supposed to be ninety
3: six today. And I think the first hundred degrees comes on Thursday. So
1: (laughs) But as anybody that's ever been to Arizona knows from the locals, it's a dry heat, so it's just fine, you know. It's not till you get it to 115, you gotta start worrying, right? What's so funny
3: is I (laughs) I, I've been doing like a little um a little radio show kind of thing on Spotify and I literally was recording my my fifteenth episode right before I started talking to you today. And I was saying that like I don't know how many times I have said it's a dry heat or heard it's a dry heat from other people it's like and now at at 32 years old I'm like I it's just like so ingrained (laughs) so indoctrinated what I'm saying from being from Arizona that it's like
4: this is
3: (laughs) it's just like for so long it was like you know I was like yes it's a dry heat it's a dry heat I hate humidity it's a dry heat and now I'm like I love dry heat. This is perfect. I love being here. I'm old now. It's it's awesome for the bones.
1: I of course have quite the contrast being uh, the band being from Gainesville, Florida, and me living in Florida most of my life. Uh, the humidity down there you can cut it with a knife, so it's ridiculous. So for it's, sure, it's, it's def- definitely a trade off. But uh, you know, you guys started in 2007 uh, as a band, and the, I first remember. Uh, hearing you, or maybe you didn't start in 2007. I think your first record came out then, but uh, I first heard of you when we did the Warp Tour together in 2009. And I remember kind of, and it, and it wasn't a, a chuckle at your expense or, or making fun of you, but I remember seeing you guys walk by and you had these red outfits on and you were just, I don't know if you remember those or yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You were, you were all matching. And I remember looking out, I think I was on the bus the first time I saw and I said, God, because at that point I was older than you are now. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I could not fit my fat ass into that outfit and, and look good. And these guys are actually pulling it off. There was a little bit of jealousy there, I'm not going to lie, but uh no, you guys you guys had you guys had it going on, man. And uh you know, what a what a car- what a career that you've built. Congratulations.
3: Yeah, thank you very much. I mean it, it, and that setting is such a trip, you know, especially being well, 2008 was our first time, but we only did 10 days. And I mean, we've done now the warp Tour, I think, five times. Um, yeah. And just that setting where it's like you can still be a really, you know, uh, we were a very small band and modest, humble beginnings. And being able to see all these other bands, you know, the, I, I think we did it. Uh, in 2008 in a van for those 10 days we didn't sleep at all brutal you know tons of driving and and whatnot (laughs) but to see that you know to see that there's other bands like your band in these big buses and it was like that's what you can work towards and you can also be very cool to other bands and you don't have to be dicks and you can share the stage and it's all sort of this i don't know it was like that first moment of like, camaraderie, like that moment where you're like, yes, we are all doing the same thing. And yes, we were, we were, we were all kind of working towards the same goals. So I I don't know, it was a really influential time. Yeah, just a really special time. And and it's a it's, it's a trip to think of you know 15 years later 14 years later it's wild
1: no it, it really is you know and when, when we were that band that young band that would have been back in the 90s our first couple of warp tours it was just all the kids that were out there i mean we were playing to everybody 90 percent of the audience knew who we were by the time you guys got on the tour you were you were uh experiencing that and you were benefiting from that we were the veterans out there but we kept doing the tour because we kept getting new pockets of fans every time we did it sure we had we kind of had we kind of had to it was like the perfect storm and we definitely uh not in a bad way not like it was like oh god we don't want to do the two week we hell we kept doing the tour we played the last show in atlantic city in 2019 you know so we uh uh kept doing it though because like i said we kept uh getting these pockets of fans and and i've never ever felt uh a traveling tour quite like the warp tour in terms of camaraderie it's yeah it's just uh what a what a beautiful thing that Kevin put together. I can't I can't say enough about it. It
3: really was. Yeah, it really was. It's it, and it's definitely, I don't know, it, in the in the land of sentimentality now where you're like we missed a year of our lives in 2020. It's like that kind of stuff really stands out when you're like, oh man, that was such a blast and such a such a time to like I don't know, rally together and and just work towards having a good day. Right. You know?
1: Well, as I as I researched you guys a little further, I, I noticed some similarities between our bands. We both worked with producer Howard Benson at some point. Oh, nice. Uh, Howard did a, cu- a couple of our records. And uh, I also noticed, I don't know how you put this together, but you did a couple records later with another guy uh, named Benson. So I don't know if any band that's ever done had two producers with the same last name that are different <laughs> guys, but I thought that was pretty cool. But uh, the reason I wanted to bring up a producer thing, and we're going to get into this later when we start breaking down the song, was uh, uh, Colby Wedgworth, who, whom you've worked with a number of times now and uh, I love his production uh it's just rich and full uh and, and like I said we'll we'll get into that in, in, in a moment but I thought that was cool that you guys had worked with Howard I actually had Howard on the show as one of my first episodes so.
3: oh no way yeah, yeah was, I haven't we, talked to Howard in so long probably since we <laughs> did the record that's crazy
1: yeah yeah so uh we we, we have a, a good a good rapport with him. Black Butterflies and Deja Vu uh, was released on March 2nd, 2017, uh, to streaming. Uh, the record Lovely Little Lonely uh, was released about a month later on April 7th, 2017. The previous album was American Candy, which was about uh, exactly two years prior, released on uh, March 31st of 2015. Between the American Candy record and Lovely Little Lonely, where were you in writing Black Butterflies and Deja Vu? Where did that come in? I remember American Candy. I think we did um, we
3: we did the warp Tour that year, and that was like us coming back, and we would have been wearing blue at that time, uh, <laughs> not the red. So we were we were switching up the color palette. But the record prior to American Candy, which was a, a record called Forever Halloween, we did that with the other Benson, the Brendan Benson, out in Tennessee, and the response that we got from Forever Halloween not as well received as some of our other records and and i I remember getting a lot of questions from fans after shows because we we tend to stick around after the shows and talk to everybody and and we've made that very much a staple in our band's uh existence but a lot of people were asking me like are you okay because i felt like there were a lot of dark undertones to, to forever halloween and i i think I was okay at the time I I was dealing with just my own personal stuff, but I felt like the way that the record aesthetically felt the way that the, the songs were recorded on forever. Halloween probably lent themselves to more of the brooding kind of darker themes that our band has kind of toyed around with. And so, sorry. So basically this is the long way of saying, Forever Halloween set up American Candy because I, I wanted to dive more into the pop sensibility of the main and the poppier side of what I enjoy about songwriting. And Colby ended up kind of, we had experienced working with Colby on Pioneer, which was before Forever Halloween. We sort of went off a different route, and Colby kind of kept doing his thing. And we got him on board for American Candy. and, and after writing American Candy, uh, we toured on it. And, and I think the cycle for our band was always about two years. Like you said, it was always, you know, you put out a record, you tour for about two years. And then in the in-between, you write for the next record and then you kind of restart the cycle. So I would have been writing for Lovely Little Lonely towards the end of that two-year period. Um, okay. So from 2015 to 2017, it would have been towards the
1: back half of that. I know you play guitar and piano. Do you typically compose on one or the other, or just, uh just depends? And and what did you compose uh, this song on?
3: Well, really, it, it depends on what phase of my life I was in and what instruments I had available. So for American Candy, I would have been doing a lot of just voice memo guitar stuff. And then for Lovely Little Lonely, I started to really dive more into trying to make more polished demos. So I was in Pro Tools and started, you know, really kind of building tracks as opposed to just having these caveman style voice memos and just like hums and grunts and, you know, guitar string sounds and stuff. So this would have been like the sort of the, the phase of, of really diving into more of the production on my own and diving into to recording on my own.
1: And how close was the final product in terms of arrangement lyrics uh, to that initial demo that you did? Did you did you spend a lot of time on the demo or was the demo just kind of kicked out and it was what it was and became became what it uh, what it is?
3: Well, so the demo itself, actually, we would have kept it up in the demo version. So the chorus ended up being that fallout kind of yeah. uh, A-B style. So I remember being in Heber, Arizona, which is uh, up north. In our guitar player Jared's parents' cabin, and we kind of hunkered down and did a lot of the pre-production for "Lovely Little Lonely" there. And Colby went with us, and we basically brought all these demos, and, and "Black Butterflies" was one of those. And we we just said, "Hey, like, what do you think?" You know, and and we trusted him uh, to, to a, a very, very deep extent. The relationship was just so just harmonious in that we, it was just like a, a good. It was like a sixth member. It was like having another person in the band, and so Black Butterflies, he took it to that fall, you know that that anti chorus place, which was uh, I think really new territory for us. He really wanted to to drive home the idea of this up tempo, upbeat, and then really, what are you going to say? You know, here's the moment where everybody needs to be listening, and that was. I remember being in the room and, and and hearing kind of the piano come to life and and we're kind of just back back and forth you know trading off harmony ideas and and melody ideas and um yeah it was just a really special time
1: it's so funny i i love when uh, artists are open to talking about and, and giving accolades to the producer because I, I can't stress enough you know no disrespect to you guys if you would have went on your own maybe cut demos you know that chorus might have just been you know a four four dr- drum beat absolutely you had, you had to have the producer have this vision of I really want the listener to hear what you're saying lyrically here I want it to hit them you know the producer Coming in with that idea of it can be this and you going, wow, you know, I've actually felt the light bulb going off my head. Wow, I never would have thought that. And Absolutely. If you, if you can open your mind and your heart to that, you can really, really advance your songwriting. Um, I want to touch real quick, and then we're going to jump into the song. Uh, the album was recorded at the Brooklyn Patch, which was a house uh, with a built-in studio for, uh, specifically for bands to record and write. And then later you guys uh, rented, I guess, an Airbnb in Gualala, California, and uh, transformed it into a recording space in the mountains overlooking the ocean. And uh, how do you feel? Did you feel that uh, that influenced the recording at all?
3: absolutely i think we we tapped into something on our own just just realizing that you know especially nowadays when sort of you can travel with your recording setup you can really create a recording studio anywhere that people will allow it and on american candy colby was into the idea of traveling the joshua tree and we did the same thing we rented a house and talked to the owner and said Hey, we're a rock band but like we're we're an older rock band. We're not as crazy. Like we'll drink, but we won't be loud like. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> know, else. Yeah, we're not going to trash your house.
3: Yeah, there were caveats, but it was uh yeah, the same kind of deal. We we ended up we wrote the song in New York at the Brooklyn Patch House, which was just a crazy brownstone like four stories. It should not. We should not have been allowed in that place. They let us record there. We wrote the song and then brought it to Heber, broke it down with Colby. And then, like you said, we went to Guadalajara, California, which I had never heard of in my entire life. Um, I don't even know if I could find it on a map, but I've never, was, I've never heard. I've
1: never heard of it till I, till I saw it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. It was an incredible, incredible house overlooking the ocean. And it really did. I, I, I do believe that it added, we, we ended up getting weird and, and, got stoned and, and recorded some ocean noise over the we like repelled down a mic <laughs> and, and we ended up using it on the record so it's like a, ban- you know, a
1: band getting stoned and weird come on
3: yeah no right i know but again uh, to give props to colby he is still very much down for the experimentation and he's down to entertain us you know he's down yeah. to let us get a little bit wild and, and well, a little I, weird. So
1: I wanted to mention that because I can feel—I don't know—I guess the word is exuberance in the recording. It just sounds uh, not happy uh, in a in a cheesy way. It just sounds upbeat, and I can also hear because I noticed that Colby is based in Nashville. Uh, he's done yeah. albums for the New- Newsboys, Jordan uh, Feliz, uh, Hawk Nelson um, some Christian artists and, and bands, but I can I kind of hear n- not a country tinge, but I can hear that pop Nashville kind of sure. country. I don't want to say country sound because your, your song doesn't sound country, but I can, I can hear that coming through. And I, I, I brought this up about where you guys recorded because I've never talked about it on the show, but you know, my band, you know, Les and Jake's done a couple records. We did one in Malibu. And when I listened to that record, I can just hear, I can feel it. I can feel the California beach vibes. And we made another record called GNV FLA in Chicago in 2008. And it was in the middle of this dark winter. And damn if that record's not dark. I can just just feel it, you know? So the other thing I haven't haven't brought up on the show, and and, uh, we'll get into the song. uh, I've never specifically went and asked somebody after almost 50 episodes now or over 50 episodes, what does black butterflies and deja vu mean?
3: like this summary of the feeling I get, or what does it mean conceptually, just,
1: like what? Just just the title, we're gonna get into what the song means in the lyrics, but just that, t- it's a very, it's a different title, it's strange.
3: Yeah, the title itself came from an, a a fit of deja vu while seeing a black butterfly, I kid you not. <laughs> I know it sounds really <laughs> lame. That's but awesome, it, that's awesome. Yeah, it was uh, in Gulala, as I was writing the lyrics, Um, for the song and attempting to i was sitting on uh, at a little coffee table out on overlooking the beach outside with my coffee and yeah that kind of just it just came like i don't know it was one of those like i'm not trying it was like i'm trying to write a song but i have no idea what the song's about and it was (laughs) like again kind of with the idea of where you record you just kind of let it all be a part of it and and i I like kind of crept through
1: i I like that it's literal because sometimes as artists we like to get artsy fartsy and it's like oh black butterflies and deja vu it came it came to me in a dream but i I like uh i I like i like how this was uh it just was what it was that's great uh the song is three minutes and 23 seconds kind of right there in the in the in the pop uh, uh length wheelhouse uh there's like a keyboard quick like one second sound and then the snare hit and yeah. the band's the band's in. It's a 12 second intro before the vocals start. It's just this dancey rhythm with a really cool, uh, like haunting arpeggiated guitar part that's panned off to the right speaker. And I love that guitar part. I love the tonality to it. Uh, before the first lyric starts, there's a pre delay on the word "what" that gradually comes up in the mix till the vocals start. <laughs> just cool like is that something that was uh done in the studio or something uh something was done in the mix and did Colby mix the record too he did yeah he did um
3: yeah so all like the delay throws and stuff that that I think that's a testament to where our relationship was as singer and producer too is just I would be able to relay like you know ideas and and you know, hey, I'm hearing a whoa, 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 and he'll be able to bring it to life pretty quickly. So uh, it, it was a, it, that was a post production kind of move. So
1: okay, so it, probably a mixing wasn't, or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah,
3: it was a mix thing. I
1: I love that. It's a great way to kick off the verse. And like I said, 12 second intro. It just hits you, and then then you're in. And uh, the lyric is, "What would you say if you could say everything you needed to to the one you needed to?" and Initially, when I listened to this track, John, I thought that the the verse kept going, but I think that's really all the verse. The next part's your pre-chorus. Is that is that what you would you would agree?
3: Yeah, correct,
1: absolutely. Okay. Well, I'm going to read it all as one because it's kind of kind yeah, of like when yeah. I I'm going to kind of one idea here. Uh, what would you say if you could say everything you needed to to the one you needed to? And now we're in the the pre-chorus. You flash like a setting sun. You come around, I come undone. Can't find the sound under my tongue. When I look at you, the whole thing is harmonized till that very last line. When I look at you, and then you say, well, and it adds this uh, personal touch. I've, I've talked about that before on the show where everything else is, is, harmonized. It's the band, but that line, it's like, when I look at you, it's just you saying that again from the original demo, do you recall, was there harmonies there in your head or was was that again, again something you crafted in the studio?
3: Yeah, I think the harmony aspect, so one thing that I'm always really I guess self-conscious about is the idea of my range and where I can actually sing live. And I, it's always been a huge thing with me and and on our record pioneer that the first record that we did with Colby, I remember like a trick of compensating was always. We can create the harmony, treat the harmony, the high harmony as sort of a lead, but also creep in your melody that you can actually sing and you'll be comfortable singing live. And I always it it, it happened in, in one of our songs called Misery. And from that moment on, I was like I was comfortable with doing, you know, exploiting my voice in the studio, hitting the notes that I can hit, but maybe only occasionally. And then live, I either, you know, I'll I'll take it down and and sing that, that lower, you know, vocal line and let Ken, our guitar player, sing the high harmony and make him do all the grunt work.
1: Hey, man. Musician to musician, thanks for giving a damn. A lot of guys don't think about this stuff and and, and and ladies where they'll sing out of their register and you go see them live and you're like, okay, this isn't cutting it. So yeah. it's cool that, cool that you're cognizant of that. I'm definitely think of that when I write songs and keys, like, am I gonna be able to pull this off live? We're a live band. You're, you're, you guys are a live band.
3: Absolutely. So an- anyways, it, I would say that all of the demos for Lovely Little Lonely specifically had that in mind. You know, I was doing these high melody lines And treating them as harmonies, but also in the mix, we were treating them like they could be the lead. So Colby and I kind of
1: worked that out. Something else really interesting. You know, the first lyric here, what would you say if you could say, is you singing like in the mix it's the lead vocal, but the next two lines are almost like a backing vocal. The treatment on the vocal changes, like the delay or whatever's on it, the everything you needed to to the one you needed to. It's almost uh, a different production value there. What, what
2: would you say if you could-
1: that's something done in mixing or was that something you guys thought because it's very interesting that you only get one line as a lead vocal and then it it kind of drops to something different but that's the only time it happens in the verse it's cool
3: yeah it felt like and i think we did it quite a few times on this record but it felt like sort of responses so it was like the call and response aspect of songs that we really dug and dig um and treating it more like there were multiple people singing when it really is just me.
1: I stopped short of calling it a call and response, so I initially wrote that in my notes. It, it, but it's not. It 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 doesn't. It feels almost like it, but it's different. I've never really heard a song that does what it does there. It's it's very unique. That's a That's an interesting part.
3: Right on. Well, I guess that was where our headspace was was the call and response, but making it more so like here's some backup singers. Uh, yeah. That kind of vibe.
1: Well, I read the uh, all the lyrics there uh, through the pre-chorus a moment ago. Can you set up this first verse and pre-chorus of what what you're saying there lyrically? What what the uh, the inspiration is there?
3: Yeah, I mean, so I don't even think my band knows this, and I was thinking about it. And and and, and the, the, the big thing is, uh, from my perspective, and why I love music is that why i love listening to music and digesting music the way i do is the ability my ability and and the ability of being able to attach your own meanings to songs right and so i, I i've always been reluctant to like tell too and and divulge too much of what our songs mean because i'm afraid that it's going to ruin it for people but after listening to episodes of your your podcast i'm like well that's kind of what makes this really special and like these songs are different from your other songs you know what i mean like there there's a a significance to it so my band will be finding this out but the (laughs) the whole song was based around uh, a psychedelic trip that i took and i wanted to disguise the trip because i wanted to tell people about the trip but i didn't want to be blatant i didn't want to say like hey i took some acid and here's a song i wrote about it you know and basically what i wanted to do was disguise the idea of this trip in the form of a love song and really who i'm talking to in this love song is me describing falling in love with the world and that was the importance of the black butterfly. And when I saw this black butterfly, it reminded me of, and, and we're going to get really uh, heady here and it's going to sound like stoner mumbo jumbo, but I was, <laughs> I was, I was laying in the backyard and I
1: was by the pool. you were on while acid, I was, John.
3: Yeah. Well, while, while, while
1: it's going to be heady.
3: Yeah. While I was on acid, um, <laughs> I felt a a bird fly and it it was probably in reality 50 feet or so above me, but it felt like the bird was right above me and I could feel the wind and I could feel everything. And it was like such a a moment of enlightenment and such for whatever reason that triggered the idea that uh, everything's going to be okay. It was like this very warm feeling of like, I've been so caught up in work. I've been so caught up in uh, being connected to people online. And, you know, because our band was based on MySpace, that's where we started. So we essentially grew up on the internet. And I felt such a connectivity back to the world and back to the visceral part of being on the ground and being outside. So, anyways, the Black Butterfly reminded me of that. And while I was writing the lyrics, it, it, it sort of, uh, sparked that whole memory of this, this trip. And, and what would you say that whole line was something I had written down while I was experiencing this trip. And it was like, what would you tell yourself if you could tell yourself everything you needed to to remember, you know, and, and everything that you're feeling right now, what would you say? And-
1: well, the the lyric makes a little more sense now. I can't find the sound under my tongue. Uh which for those uh who have ever partake, are partook, partook, past tense, uh, in <laughs> LSD, know the, knows that you put the uh put the little tab under your tongue to let it uh, absorb into your body, so. Uh this is a first, John. This is a first, and that's yeah. a, that's that's a that's a really cool story that you were tapping into your inner Grateful Dead there. Um, the, <laughs> I, I love it. I, I had no idea this is the shift that this was going to take. I, I, I yeah. love that you wrote you wrote this song on acid. This is amazing. Um, at thirty five seconds, which is quick, and man, yeah. you're you're in the chorus now. And as we talked about uh, at the top, it drops out. <laughs>
2: my voice when i look at you can't make a noise so i'm trying to tell you all the right words waiting on the right words just the whole
1: yeah. band it gets really personal here 35 seconds we're in the band drops out to just keys a synthesizer there's an arpeggiated guitar picking part uh that's panned over to the left uh and it's just vocals and there's this cool swirling synth panning from the right to left speakers this is just kind of going around that just kind of gives this atmospheric uh i don't know maybe feeling that you're on acid maybe but uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> i'm going to read the lyrics here i lose my voice when i look at you can't make a noise though i'm trying to tell you all the right words waiting on the right words just another love sick afternoon black butterflies and deja vu hoping for the right words Waiting for the right words. And at the very end, you get this spirited, yeah, that goes mm-hmm. b- before it gets into the reintro. Uh, on the line, halfway through the chorus, just another lovesick afternoon, a hi hat comes in there with bass notes. Mm-hmm.
2: Just another lovesick afternoon, black butterflies and deja vu, hoping for the right words, waiting for the right words.
1: Uh, it's either on on keys or actual bass. I couldn't really tell. Uh, and it just kind of adds a, a another another layer there. But uh, really interesting how this drops out. But it it really gives you that that emotion uh, that that I think that uh, you guys and Colby Colby were going for. So so set up these lyrics, please.
3: I guess even more so than the lyrics, I remember the actual moment where Colby. Um, said what if we try the piano and that was like the uh, holy crap moment while we were doing the pre-production bit and i i forget what uh and this is going to lean into the pop side of things but i forget what um justin bieber record was out at the time but there was a song that he had referenced that was again that speaks to the idea of the relationship between producer and and artist and, and that this was something this was a song i was completely unfamiliar with and he brought it into our world and, and, you know, said, what if we try something like this? And that, it, that, that clicked and set up the whole part. So, again, kudos to Colby and, 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 and his kind of pushing us into that, that realm.
1: Yeah. Something that, like you said, that you wouldn't have thought of. That's why a producer, you know, can be genius in those situations. They really, really Absolutely.
3: can. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the yeah. lyrics themselves just came from, uh, again, the idea of being overwhelmed by the beauty that I was experiencing, the beauty and and the love, the the warm feelings that I was feeling, and, and the, the I don't know the gratitude and you know I don't want it to sound like uh, it, it it was such a religious experience. It was such a spiritual experience, and it wasn't like you know I wasn't abusing the idea of this trip. I was leaning into the idea of how beautiful the world was and and how it didn't matter what I was wanted to wanting to say, or, or it didn't matter what I said at all because I felt everything.
1: It's almost like a love, not to interrupt you. It's almost like a love song to yourself. You know, Absolutely. I, I thought it was a love song. I figured boy meets girl, or, you know, it's, it's, it's a traditional, just, just, you know, take, taking it verbatim. But uh, that's really interesting how you, you felt this uh, this oneness with the earth, I guess. With yeah. Uh,
3: and, and again, I think that's what I was trying to do is, was, was to sort of disguise that that idea, because now I, I hadn't met my wife um, until that April seventh, when the record dropped. "Love of the Lonely" is when I met her, and you know I had never really been in love before. So all I had really known was the version of love that I saw through you know through my friends' eyes or my parents' eyes, or um, I had never experienced it for myself. But now as I look back and and even listening to this song, cause I listened to it for the first time in a long time before the podcast, because I was like, what the hell? I don't even know what I'm going to say. And um, But now people don't understand,
1: it, I, I, I always talk about it. people don't understand like we as artists don't sit around and listen to our own stuff, you know? Yeah. I'm not driving yeah. down the road, I'm not driving <laughs> down the road, listening to my listening to myself sing. Yeah. you know? Yeah.
3: But thinking about it now in the context of, the love that i have for my wife and the life that we've built together it it certainly applies you know it applied to myself at that moment and in, in 2016 17 and now it applies but just in a different way and and it's uh it's it's a pretty special feeling to know that 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 exists now in my world and and, it, and exists in a different way
1: that's that. That's very cool. Uh, as I said before, it, it has that spirited, yeah, and then we're into the re-intro, 12 seconds, same as the top. And uh, now we're into verse two and pre-chorus two. I'm going to read it all as once here. Uh, the first three lines are the verse. The last four lines uh, are the pre-chorus. Um, the echo vocal comes back here, but I can't tell what you're saying here. It's not the first word, just. What 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 are you saying that builds up there? I, I listened in headphones. It actually like... it is. I think the way that the delay kind of
3: cut off the T, it it mumbles the whole word, which was interesting that you say that because somebody we had just played it live and Ken, our guitar player, ends up doing that live now, and uh, somebody commented on it. Was like that's the first time I ever noticed that he's saying just. So
1: you can, it, it's, it's very apparent. It's what, at the start of the song, but when it comes in yeah, there, I, and I just thought it was cool. I'm like, you know what? I think he's saying a nonsense word. I don't think he's saying anything there, but yeah, you are saying, yeah. ju- and we've been fooled on this show before with stuff. It happened in a, in a some 41 episode where a lyric was, you know, some people hear it this way and hear it the other way. And a lot of times it's the delay or the pre-delay that you have on a vocal. It will really mess with, with, with what you're hearing with the syllables. It's it's very interesting. So we get into uh, verse number two, yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna read the lyrics now. Just yesterday, north of LA, I couldn't help but think of you. Every time I think of you, you crash like a rolling wave. You come around, I lose my brain. And then the back half of the pre-chorus here is the same lyrics as the, is the first time. Can't find the sound under my tongue. Everything up to that point, verse and pre-chorus has harmonies on it, vocal harmonies. Mm-hmm. And then the last line again is naked. It's just you. When I look at you well, and now you're into the, into the second chorus. So set up those, those lyrics if you can. And I'm kind of understanding that I'm, uh, I'm assuming uh, Gulala is, is North of LA.
3: Yeah. So it was inspired, like you're you're saying on the drive out. And I had, I I think up to that point, I don't think I had ever taken the PCH. Like I don't think I've ever taken the one all the way up like that. And it's a it crazy was, drive it's an incredibly <laughs> beautiful drive like uh, unparalleled awesome. beauty and and that was what we were kind of experiencing and seeing for the first time you know we took the van and trailer because we had all our gear and 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 stuff in the back and and we're going up and it was uh yeah just uh, again kind of one of those again, with the the idea of deja vu of like those feelings kind of coming back and and kind of feel those exact same things as you're seeing, kind of really taking notice and and really taking notice of the the beauty in the world and, and seeing things with kind of those new eyes, you know, and again, with the parallel to being in love, you know, it's like seeing, it's like seeing someone again for the first time, you know, like, There is always, there will always be that first moment that you saw them, but that feeling can be obtained again and it can happen. And it's like hearing a song that creates that nostalgia. It's like, oh my God, that kind of takes me right back. And, and I guess that was what I was saying in the second verse was, you know, I've driven past and through LA, I don't know, hundreds of times. And this one just kind
1: of stuck out. Yeah, you saw you, you saw a different beauty all of a sudden, which is which is crazy. I've, I've I've think we can all relate to that in some some semblance. Where all of a sudden, how many times have I been down, been down this road or this this area? But I saw something new for the first time. It's 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 really absolutely. Neat. Um, also, on the second and third line of the verse, I couldn't help but think of you every time I think of you. It's again what John, what what you're referring to as the call and response. It happens again there in that in that yeah. second verse, which is cool. After the line where you're alone, when I look at you well, it drops back down again. This time for chorus two, that hi-hat is right off the top. It's yep. in there throughout the whole chorus, as well as the bass notes are at the top here throughout, which is great.
2: I lose my voice when I look at you. Can't make a noise, so I'm trying to tell you all the rap right words. Waiting on the rap right
1: Again, the lyrics here, uh, I'm going to read them one more time. It's the same as the first chorus. I lose my voice when I look at you. Can't make a noise, though I'm trying to. Tell you all the right words. Waiting on the right words. Just another lovesick afternoon. Black butterflies and deja vu. Hoping for the right words. Waiting for the right words. And on the third line, tell you all the right words. On words, right then... It's an interesting placement on why it would come in here on the third line. And it's just, it's awesome. There's a delayed, I don't even know what you would call this, John. It's like a metal, it's like if you were to hit, uh, take a stick and hit like a a metal highway drum or something. It's like this metal drum that comes in there. It's really cool. Why there? Was that something Colby uh, thought of or... We felt like, I I remember feeling like,
3: which was why we started the second chorus off with the hi-hats and the sub bass. Um, We felt like there needed to be new elements every time, because I think just copy and pasting the same instrumental would just not be as exciting. Because of the anti-chorus, because of the lack of instrumentation around there, we felt like there needed to be something... That catches your your ear every time through.
1: You know why it's great though? Is because I had to rewind it like five times or I'm like, why is this chorus different? It doesn't really like all of a sudden there's huge vocals and big guitars. Sure. No, it yeah, it feels, yeah. it it feel it retains the same feeling as the first chorus, but those subtle differences like that drum, the hi-hat off the top, the sub-bass notes off the top. It's just it's really, really Really great production.
3: Well, thanks. Yeah, I, and that that sound that comes in—that um, sort of that stomp-esque kind of sound—it <laughs> um, it, it actually is a recurring sound in the record "Lovely Little Lonely." So it's a loop that we created that ends up coming back in multiple songs. Okay, and it's yeah, it's. Uh, I don't re- recall exactly how we created it, but I remember. Once we got enough of that dirt on it and created sort of that really, I don't know, that unique kind of snare sound, I knew that it felt sort of dark. It felt like the rest of the record. So it definitely comes back in multiple songs.
1: That's awesome. Well, we we get into the, what I'm calling now, it's not quite the bridge, it's like a post chorus. And after you say waiting for the right words, uh, the band breaks back in, but it's like this backbeat, breakbeat. Uh, drum pattern that happens there's like a really fast hi-hat shuffle and there's like these shakers that are panned to the right it's just the the whole feel changes here and then you're saying and you yeah this vocal and that goes underneath that vocal throughout the whole bridge uh when when the when the vocals uh the lyrics start uh there's a clean guitar hook that's mimicking the melody here too, which is really killer. It's not exact with it. It's almost like a fraction or two of a second off. Uh, Really, really neat placement with that. And uh, that clean guitar is ghosting, you know, uh, following the melody throughout. Uh, I'm gonna read the lyrics here. I've been searching for the right words, right words. But I can't even find an echo. Don't you let go. There are only 20, six letters I can use, just to tell you, I won't let go. Don't you let go. There's harmonies throughout the whole bridge except on those last two lines. They're naked. I won't let go don't you let go a give again giving it that personal uh feeling i love the layers here i love the and you that's that's present under, underneath this whole part it's a great departure but it it, it works perfectly
2: i've been searching for right words.
3: Yeah, thank you. And and to be honest, the and you was sort of a, like you said before, like a, a throwaway kind of two word thing. It didn't really make sense in the concept of the song, but it just sounded good. And it wasn't wor- it they weren't words until that moment in the studio. So they were just a, a falsetto kind of do do whatever it is and (laughs) and and colby was like well you kind of have to say something there i was like um and you (laughs)
1: he's like yeah perfect it's great and it's from this moment that the song really elevates it's from that bridge part where you're now you're introducing all this other stuff and at the very end you know don't you let go then bang You're in the last double chorus, which is really powerful because now the whole band's in. It's not broken down, it's sung up an octave, there's harmonies on it. It's just like the lights really come on here. Uh, I I wrote powerful in in my notes. So off placed backing vocals here and there throughout the whole thing these call and responses that are that are happening in and out and they don't really follow a rhyme or reason i didn't like put them exact in my notes because i i wrote here (laughs) tons of vocal layering at the end would get confusing to try to completely analyze it for the listener (laughs) because it's kind of all over the place you know yeah and and, and, yeah and and not in a bad way it's just no yeah yeah.
3: there's so there's
1: so much so much going on and i'm i'm gonna attribute that probably to colby yes
3: yeah this was uh so our brains were thinking of this song as uh a b a b and then this whole section that you just explained was in our heads that was like uh well now it's going to sound like a pregnancy but it was a c-section so that was (laughs) (laughs) that that was that was like the our outro kind of and we didn't really think of it in terms of like here we're going to revisit the chorus we just felt like it needed to to build and ramp into this explosion, kind of like you're saying, the lights on moment. And I, I, I we knew we were going to revisit the vocal lyrics and the line, but it didn't necessarily, like you said, it was an octave up. And then it was like this, it was kind of sort of like the, and it, it, now when we play it live, it's like the moment that everybody's looking forward to in the song. You know, it's like oh, the yeah. moment when when people are really like, ramping up and and you can kind of feel the energy build in the crowd especially when the the first kind of part of that when that snare drum kind of comes in yeah and and with the vocal production we definitely wanted it to just feel like uh, that chaotic kind of energy you know it, it needed to feel like there were you know multiple voices and and not the it wasn't the bad sort of part of the trip it was the the climax of the trip it was like this is the the, the most amazing feeling kind of a a moment. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's what we refer to as the, you know, you're throwing in the kitchen sink and and you really, you really did here, but it's, it's a controlled chaos. And this bridge part, uh, really was the precursor, you know, it totally changed feels, all these vocals were coming in and then boom, you just lifted to the, to this last, I'm going to read the chorus uh, lyrics one more time. Not, I'm not going to read it. It's a double chorus here. It's the same thing. I lose my voice when I look at you can't make a noise though. I'm trying to. Tell you all the right words, waiting on the right words. Just another lovesick afternoon, black butterflies and deja vu. Hoping for the right words, waiting for the right words. And I've discussed this on the show. You know, there's a lot of information there. There is essentially four choruses. It's three choruses, but it's a double chorus at the end. Yeah. Was there ever talk but or the initial demo you did? Was there other lyrics? or We you know what we should change up this last line here. Or did you feel there was an, enough information there?
3: It's just really interesting when you because I've never really other than uh, reading lyrics of other people's songs. I've never really thought about our songs and read them aloud like that. And it's really interesting because the the care and the the, I was trying to put in the song when I hear it back, I'm like, oh, that could just be dismissed really easily. You know, like that could just be like. (laughs) Oh, that's just some like weak poetry. But in my brain, I was really making sense, and and I was really saying a lot, like you're like you're saying, but without saying a ton. Um,
1: well, it's a bizarre thing. I've had people on here, uh, guests, say that it's so weird hearing my lyrics you know, spoken back. I've, ne- <laughs> yeah. I've never had, I've never had it happen, you know? It so is weird. I I, 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 I always thought, is this coming off as, as not authentic or I'm being weird or it, it uh, doesn't uh, lend credence to how great some of the lyrics are on the show, but no, it's not that at all. I'm, I'm, I'm reading them because, you know, I'm, I'm a- analyzing, uh, analyzing your lyrics, but I know exactly how you're feeling right now. I can imagine that it's, it, it, wow, that's, that's different it, hearing them it, back it, at
2: you.
3: Well, uh, hearing it too like i'm saying it, it feels like i am especially just with the words especially in the verses what would you say if you you know there's not that many there aren't that many lyrics there aren't that many words but the idea that like people attach themselves to this song specifically it's one of those things when i go back and write other songs it, this is a song specifically where uh, it highlights the idea that i can overthink the shit out of things. I like could oh, yeah. really can overthink everything and a simple chorus like this and a simple set of verses, and then just a, a, an instrumentation at the end that really kind of sh- just brings it all together. It shows me that it's attainable to be simplistic yet still have depth, but people can still appreciate that. And there's nothing wrong with it, you know? And and I've revisited that concept so many times where it's like, dude, you're really stretching here like you're trying too hard you
1: know <laughs> i think this this is perfect i don't think there needs to be anything else uh uh and, and your fans can attest to it they've made this a fan favorite you know i'm a sucker for a pop hook and this thing is you know there there's more hooks in this thing than a tackle box this this song is <laughs> it it just it just keeps building the the last half of the double chorus here it's the same lyrics that uh that i've uh, uh read on the line i lose my voice and i look at you that guitar comes back in mimicking the vocal melody there yeah. You know, just another thing, another layer, yeah. another an, an, another hook which is so great. There is harmonies on the first four lines and at waiting on the right words, you had said, let go a couple times. And it's almost like this distorted uh, kind of vocal effect that's on on that uh, line, let go, uh, before the very end. When it's now, no harmonies, this is just you, saying just another lovesick afternoon, black butterflies and deja vu, hoping for the right words, waiting for the right words. It's just vocals and keys. There's no harmonies. It ends, the song ends with that swirling synth sound
2: and kind yeah. of fades
1: out kind of giving it that uh, ethereal feeling like I don't know maybe you're laying on a chaise lounge in the middle of California on acid yeah yeah <laughs> will
3: everything be okay question mark <laughs> I love
1: I, I love the way it ends though man it's really it's really cool uh do you recall you got everything layered uh recorded for the song and did because and again I, I don't think I've ever phrased this ho I'm, I'm gonna say right now on the show before you know you, you got you, you know what the song is you wrote it you know mm-hmm. what the demo was you created it you recorded in the studio but this is an intricate crazy mix there's a lot going on when yeah. you finally when you finally heard the mix back was it what you heard in your head was it better was it cuz this is pretty grandiose
3: yeah i think um we've been so fortunate that again the relationship that we built with Colby where he's got no ego so back and forth with mixes, it's no problem. He takes no offense to, Hey, I, I don't dig the way that this sounds. or I don't dig the way that this feels he's got none of that, none of that. So it, it's usually pretty, we're pretty in sync right off the, the bat when the first mix comes in, but then there's the tweaks that inevitably happen. But I would say, um, from demo to, to finished product, this, the, 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 the end result, completely surpassed what i had in my in my mind and i think it really did i don't know kind of create that that reinforcement that i that, that that conviction that i had felt with the lyrics and all that i think was really reinforced with the the arrangement and the the instrumentation and the mix
1: well it's uh it's a a great pop song it's just the 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 first thing again not taking anything away from the writing or the song or the lyrics, but what really struck me was this production. It's just it's rich, it's full, uh, it's very cool, and uh, I'm stoked that you, the relationship you have with Colby it's it's obviously working out. This is a fan favorite. Um, we're gonna wrap up here. Is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with, or what you have going on, what the band's doing? Uh, let us know. Let us know what's happening.
3: Yeah, we've got a, uh, a new record called XOXO from Love and Real or Anxiety in Real Time coming out July 9th. Did Colby Um, produce? He did not. We uh, self-produced this one, actually. Um, And Colby actually has his fingerprints on a few of the songs. So this was the first time that I actually sat down and wrote a few songs with Colby, which was really an interesting and, and amazing experience. You know, like having his full brain and not just the producer side of the brain and having that full... Spectrum um was really, really awesome. Um actually he he helped on one of the ones that's already out on Spotify called April 7th. We have we just released a cover of a Fallout Boy tune today, and we it doesn't sound anything like the original, <laughs> um, which what is track? kind of our uh it's a song called Thanks for the Memories.
1: Oh yeah. And we we did
3: a, a kind of a love ballad version of it. Um cool. so that's out and uh like I said, I was doing the ear
1: candy uh on
3: Spotify and uh yeah. We're just ripping, I'm trying to, we're, we're ready to get back out on tour. So
1: I, I hear you, man. Well, hey, thank you for taking the time to sit in. I know the listeners are going to love this episode. I really appreciate it.
3: No, thank you so much for having me.
2: Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute.
4: What's the name of that podcast?
2: That's X to Grind. Uh, and right
1: now
0: you're going to be getting a little, a little taste of it right down to the shaking microphone and all.
4: <laughs> and my name's Bob. Um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that that you either love, want to love, or hate.
1: Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that, uh, has impacted your life, uh, and then condense them
4: down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot. And listen to the Grant Podcast.
2: As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know.
1: Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to make a podcast, all you have to do is submit your song and bio to band you might not know at gmail.com. This week's featured band is Came and Took It from Fort Collins, Colorado. These guys take the alkaline trio Lawrence Arms and Jawbreaker and mesh it all together for some really cool punk rock. You can find their music on all the streaming services. Here's a snippet of their song Resume.
2: the rap with Chris and Chris
4: So the main is one of those bands that I've heard about for years and years but never dug in and in preparation for this episode I dug in and that band is awesome man I can't believe it took me till this episode to listen to them I kind of feel bad
1: Yeah no and uh and and, and what a great track you know and what yeah. a what a crazy <laughs> crazy story behind the song i just couldn't believe that that he divulged that Uh, we got the scoop here on krista makes a podcast who knew absolutely
4: i thought it was really cool that john referenced listening to other episodes of the podcast before divulging what the song was about so i guess he was inspired hearing people tell their stories on the podcast that made me feel good i don't know if that made you feel good chris but that made me feel really good
1: no, it 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 really did, and uh, you know, Chris and I spend a lot of time on the podcast reaching out to publicists and managers and artists uh, to to be on the show. And uh, John's publicist actually reached out to us to be on the show, and that's all all due to John wanting to be on. And uh, I thought that was awesome, and I meant that did make me feel good. That was cool. That,
4: that really made me feel special. So, John, if you're listening right now, thanks, man. We're psyched yeah, about man. that.
1: <laughs> and and I and I meant what I said, and he, we kind of had a laugh at it. and I was uh. Uh, thinking about this, you know, I remember seeing them the, for the first time, and ha- them having on their coordinated outfits, and just less than Jake my, was just never that kind of band. Anytime we did a photo shoot, I've talked about this before, we tried to dress up, we could never pull it off, and and these guys just had had the look. They went out there and 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 more so than anything, they had that that fan base, that rabid and it was a teenage fan base on those early warp tours. uh just a lot of younger girls screaming for them, good looking guys. and i I knew that they were destined destined for something big. and uh, here they are now, uh, eleven years later, and they're still they're still killing it,
4: absolutely, man. They're way more than coordinated outfits because I didn't see any coordinated outfits when I was listening to their music. I only had my ears to judge and. They're great. I'm glad that, you know, hey, sometimes it's cool to wait and, and and hold off, and then it's like it's all new to you. You have an entire catalog of music that's all new to you. There, I'm sure there's bands from the 70s and 80s and 90s I've never checked out that, like, yeah, it's like it's like a whole new thing. It's like a whole new world opens up to you. Well, and speaking a whole new world, I I,
1: I love uh, doing this podcast because I've I've learned a lot about producers. I did I didn't know who Colby Wedgeworth was before this, who produced this track. Uh, and he's a a Nashville guy, and I just I think this this uh, this song just sounds amazing. The production is just crisp. It's it, it's killer, and uh, uh, I'm looking forward to checking out some of his other productions.
4: I thought it was really cool. We may have touched on this on an episode or two before. But John talked about being conscious of what you can sing live versus what you can make happen once or twice in the studio, which that's kind of important because you can, I don't know, hit some note or sing something that's like kind of out of your range in the studio that and really screw yourself over for the next uh, several decades of your life uh, if you're not at least... Considering that in the studio, and, you know, John's cognizant of that—that that they are a live band. That when
1: right. they're making a record, and I've I've gotten arguments producers before. I'm like, how are we going to pull this off live? And producers looked at me before. Howard Benson, he said, we're not worried about live. We're making a GD record right now, you know. Right, and I'm like. You know, I I get that, but at the same time, when your bread and butter is live, that's where you know you, your livelihood uh, sits. You want to be able to to pull it off, especially in the vocal department, which uh, those can be fixed very easily these days.
4: Yeah, man, I totally agree. We are in the world of live rock music. We're not pop acts or something that's just purely recorded we got to be able to deliver live, so that 's pretty important that pe- the people don 't come to your show and be like they didn 't sound anything like the album. they suck. you know you could be <laughs> playing your heart out, but people could think you suck if you overdo it in the studio, and that 's what people get used to. Maybe we should start playing bad on our recordings, <laughs> so people come to our live shows and be like, "Damn, they were amazing. <laughs> <laughs> they sounded so much better than the album." Yeah, no one's, ever, no one's ever done it in
1: reverse like that. The record always sounds great. You go see the band live, and they're, they're a steaming turd, you know?
4: Well, you guys sound way better than you do on Pezcore now, right? <laughs> That's not much of a compliment, but thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying that, uh, you know. But you know that there's some people out there that you guys you guys probably play those songs 100 times better now. There's, there's some ska fan from the <laughs> mid 90s like oh they sounded so much better on Pezcore.
1: i always tell our sound guy if we're having an off night just turn it up as loud as the pa can and just put a <laughs> bunch of reverb and delay on it and just call it a night yeah
4: <laughs> you know. hey one last thing that i wanted to touch on uh that john talked about and i think most people whether they're tripping or not can relate to the sentiment of wanting to connect back to the the beauty of the world and the beauty of nature and life after we're just constantly inundated by the internet and computers. And sometimes it's nice to just connect back to that, man. And sometimes you don't want to. Sometimes you're like, man, I don't feel like going camping or man, I don't feel like going canoeing. But then once you're doing it, you're like, damn, this is amazing. And I, uh, you know, could super relate to that because it's easy to just want to sit in front of your computer all the time
1: yeah i did not know where john was going with that whole story and when he came out and said it and uh you know uh i don't know if anyone's Seen a picture of John recently. He's pretty clean cut, good looking guy, and uh, he's telling you know you. you, I just always associated uh, uh, taking acid with uh, you know I don't know like Jerry Garcia or something. You know, just (laughs) it was the last thing I thought he was going to say. And what a cool story though, and and just how he meant it from the heart, and it wasn't like he was advocating uh, (laughs) drug use or anything like that. It was just it was what happened, and and what uh, he 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 was being honest about the song's inception, which I thought was 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 great.
4: Yeah, for sure, man. And Chris, do you know what else is great? What else is great, Chris? The generosity of the listeners of Chris DeMakes, a podcast. You are absolutely
1: correct. Each and every one of you uh, that uh, gives your hard-earned money towards our fundraiser each month, uh, we're forever indebted to you. It means a lot, and the feedback that we've gotten back from these organizations is just, you don't know how appreciated it is. This month's fundraiser is the National Brain Tumor Society. Uh, All your donations will go to research and treatment towards a cure for brain cancer uh, just this incurable disease that uh, that' we're, we're trying to trying to beat trying to trying to get past it and uh, anything anything you can give a dollar five ten uh, will help greatly uh, please head over to
4: Chris that's where you can donate this is absolutely um, an amazing fundraiser this month so yeah if you can head over to Chris even if you can donate a buck or two 5 ten whatever you can give, it all adds up. You know, there's a, there's a lot of us in this to Makes a Podcast community. Based on the numbers, Chris, if everybody gave a buck, we'd be able to give a huge amount to these fundraisers each month. And luckily, we have people that give a lot more than a buck. But if everybody could just pitch in a buck, if you can, it's greatly appreciated.
1: Yeah, this month's fundraiser is near and dear to our heart. I, I don't think I've ever met anybody in my life who hasn't been affected one way or another by cancer. So, again, thanks to each and every one of you. And uh, if you haven't already, please uh, head over to Instagram and give me a follow at Less Than Chris D. I need I need more followers. I, li- I like to entertain. I put up funny pictures and videos and do cool things sometimes. So give me a follow. Tell your friends to follow me. And uh, I'm still doing those custom songs. You can email me at chrisdemakes at gmail.com. I can write a song for you, that special someone, a loved one, and anniversaries, birthdays, retirement parties, bar mitzvahs, graduations, you name it, I'll write a song for you. And I gotta give a a shout-out again, Chris, to our Facebook group. Uh, Chris makes a podcast Facebook group. It's free to join. Head over. Tell your friends about that one, too. It's a lot of fun, and uh, uh, we started to give shout-outs to to, to some of the the people that post the most, and uh, I want to say hello to Kevin. I believe it's Sealer or Siler. Chris is saying Seiler. I'm saying Sealer. It's probably Seiler. You're probably right. (laughs) Mr. Kevin Seiler and uh, Mr. Jonathan Jonathan London. I know Jonathan London personally.
4: You know Jonathan yeah. London personally. My good buddy. Geekscape's very own Jonathan London. Uh he's yes. always he's always posting in the group and, and we love it. And uh yeah, we appreciate you guys interacting. I'm in there every day. It's my most fun little corner of the internet.
1: Absolutely. So thanks to Kevin and Jonathan and each and every one of you who are in the group. And, uh, you know, if you think that this podcast sounds amazing and is produced very well, which it is, um, it has nothing to do with me. Um, <laughs> it has something to do with you. I just, I just, I just re- research the song and sit here and spill back information with the guests. But the 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 magic behind the scenes goes to my man Chris here, and he's going to tell you uh, about uh, his little side hustle. It's not even so much a side hustle anymore. You guys are doing great. It's called We Know Podcast, and tell everybody about it, Chris.
4: Yeah, me and my good buddy Matt Kelly, we have tons and tons of podcast experience. If you enjoy this podcast every week, and you've been thinking to yourself, man. I would love to have a podcast, but I don't know the first thing about it. You can head to WeKnowPodcasting.com, and Matt and I will take good, good care of you. Hey, just like I've said this a lot of times, but Chris, when I first approached you about starting a podcast, we had some conversations, and you were like, man, everybody has a podcast. Dude, you could say that about anything. You could say that about starting a band. You could say that about—I don't care. You could say that about— literally anything everyone does that well you know the fact of the matter is there's a lot of people that do podcasts there's a lot of bad podcasts out there and uh what matt kelly and i would like to do is help you hit the ground running with your podcast so check out we know podcasting.com Hit us up. We can help you out. That's
1: right. Chris and Matt can get your podcast up and running and uh, take any ordinary little podcast and, and uh, make it extraordinary, which uh, I believe Chris has done with this uh, with this show right here. So thanks to everybody for listening this week. I want to thank this week's guest, John O'Callaghan from The Maine, for sitting in with us. We'll see you next week.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?